0: One thing. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast. On this platform we ask pain researchers one simple question: What's the one thing you want people challenged by pain to know about? Today's episode features Dr. Katie Burney from the University of Calgary. One thing So Katie, what's the one thing that you want people challenged by pain to know? It's such a good question. I mean, there's so many things that are coming out um, in pain research and pain care at the moment. I think the one thing I'm really excited about right now is that I think the expertise of patients, people living with pain and their family members um, has is really starting to be recognized as critical expertise we have to pay attention to um, as researchers, as clinicians, as policymakers. So I think I'd want people to know um, people are ready to listen um, and really ready to partner with you to improve um, pain care. You know, it's really interesting and I'm a pediatric pain researcher, right? So most of my work focuses on youth and children and families. And, you know, when I think back to like the origins of the field of pediatric pain, it really comes from this synergy between research and what I'm going to call lived experience. So, you know, of patients and families and that's really how our field came to be. You know, it was the coming together, of some some critical research around, um, you know, early surgeries in infants and a mother whose um, premature born baby had heart surgery um, with no analgesics and public outcry kind of in in the newspaper and in, in the U.S. And it was these things together that really like launched the field Um and then I think, you know, over time, as, as research happens in a more traditional way, um, there's been less of that kind of partnership and less of that real synergy um, between research and lived experience. Um, but I think that's shifting. I mean, it certainly has shifted for us here in Canada. Um, and I've seen it kind of in some of the conversations I've had with colleagues around the world, including in Australia and the UK in particular, um, but also in the US and and other places. And it's being asked for, it's being required, um, you know, in grants. Um, and and there's greater engagement in policy, uh, which for us here in North America has certainly come about through the opioid crisis. Um, but it, it's really put pain kind of on the, on the federal government um, agenda as something we need to pay attention to. And a key piece of that, obviously, is people who are living with pain every day. That's an expertise that the rest of us don't hold. Yeah. What should someone with pain do? How do they get involved? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends what you do and where you are. Um, But I I think look out for um, uh, patient organizations. I think there's lots of phenomenal organizations that are led by people with lived experience. Um, And chronic pain is is interesting in that there are sometimes certain uh, groups that are around certain diseases or disease populations like arthritis or You know, irritable bowel disease, or or other uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, other groups like that, and then I think there are groups that are are more focused on chronic pain in general. And we're really starting to get into that space where research, advocacy, policy, care is starting. I think to um, talk more, Um, and so I think there's there's opportunities to reach out. You know, to the clinicians that you're working with, um, find out about researchers in your area, and and see about getting involved. So I led up a a national um, patient engagement project where we partnered with youth and families across Canada um, as part of our research team. But then we also asked um, hundreds of Canadian youth um, and families and clinicians across the country about their priorities for chronic pain research and care in Canada. And we identified, you know, we went through this James Lind Alliance process where you Weedle it down to the top ten priorities, and what we identified is is gaps. You know, areas where um, people with lived experience want more information, want more um, changes in care to address it. What shifted my perspective um, in partnering with with patients and families is how the questions are asked. I think they're I think they're phrased differently. Um, So when I look at our top ten priorities from patients and families. Um, you know, we see questions that make a lot of sense, but they're not how we frame research. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the top 10 priorities is how do we, um, you know, what, what treatments, uh, best manage acute pain flares, uh, for youth living with chronic pain. And that's, that question is framed as help me solve this problem, you know, in my day to day life. Whereas in research, we often frame those questions as, you know, what is X treatment helpful for? So like, what do opioids help with? Um, but really what matters from the patient and family lens is, does this improve my life in some important way, regardless of what the treatment is, is it going to address the problem that shows up for me in day-to-day life? And it, I, I hope I'm explaining myself well, but I think it's just a shift in how we address the problem. Um And so we're not kind of coming with the solution and saying, does it fit? We're coming with the problem and then saying in an open-minded way, what solutions are going to help address this problem? So I think that important frame of reference shift um, is really going to make a difference in how we ask and answer questions from a research standpoint that are really connected to um, what matters to people who are living with pain every day. Pain impacts Lots of things: ability to work, ability to go to school, your family, your partners—you know—all those sorts of things. And what's what I think is really neat about what's happening now and really exciting is that you know best practices emerging in in partnering with patients in this way include compensation, right? It includes a real um, valued recognition of the expertise that patients and families bring. Um, that you don't have, even if you've worked as a clinician in pain for 20 years, you know, you don't go home, or most, not all, but most don't go home and live with pain every day. Um, And, you know, these practical challenges across the health system um, that, you know, connect Mm -hmm. from your family physician to the pharmacist who dispenses your drugs to trying to drop your kid off at school to missing out on time with friends and family, to accommodations in the workplace, to the specialty clinic you visit. Um, There's just expertise in the day-to-day that patients and families have that pain experts, you know, the way we traditionally think about it, clinicians or researchers, don't hold. Um, And I think some of these practical things like compensation really enable greater equity um, and recognition of that expertise. When we identified the top 10 priorities, there were more than 500, almost 550 ideas um, that were submitted for priorities for pediatric uh, chronic pain research and care. And two of the top 10 um, pertain to like school and vocational planning and education. And this is an area that we have not done enough work in, you know, in, in terms of um, pain care or pain research to support youth who live with chronic pain Um, and that's just one of like several examples. Um, and so, you know, to me, the like partnering with people who, who live, you know, who have the expertise of living with chronic pain every day, it's like a game changer, you know, like it's, um, it shifts the kinds of questions we ask in research and care. It shifts how we design services if we let it, like, you know, if we really, if we really take it on in a meaningful way, um, and I think that's so important because, you know, chronic pain is complex, right? And if there was one solution, um, I hope we would have found it. Um, you know, and, and I always say that to families too. Like if there was one simple thing, like, gosh, I hope no one's kept it from you. You know, like I hope I hope someone would have given it to you. And, and I think we need to recognize the complexity of that and um, be open to doing things differently. Um, and how we design services and how we ask research questions. And this means people have to talk and it means people have to recognize diverse expertise. And it means people need to be open to doing, um, something different. And, you know, when we are researchers or we're clinicians, I really see my role as like a catalyst now, you know, like what a privileged expertise to, um, be able to do science, be able to lead research projects be able to work within the healthcare system that is very disempowering for a lot of people who live with pain. Um, And so, you know, I think we have a really privileged position that we can use well by um, bolstering up and creating a space to amplify the voices of of people who live with pain, um, who we know are very disempowered or can be very disempowered. Um, And I've seen the benefit of that, you know, um, it's also incredibly empowering to be part of projects that help redesign care, you know, for other people who live with pain, as a person who lives with pain, right? So um yeah, I think there's so much opportunity to really game change, you know, uh systems that we know don't work for many people. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, cool. thanks so much for your time today, Kate. I'll let you go. Yeah. Back. All right. Thanks so much. Good. See you later. Yeah. Bye. One thing For more information about One Thing, all of the video and podcast content, or to nominate a speaker for next season, check out one thing.painci.org That's one or search one thing on social media platforms.